Oral questions by members? Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, under this Premier, in this government, we've hit rock bottom when it comes to health care. We've got emergency rooms that are closed and or totally overcrowded, life-threatening delays that increasingly lead to unnecessary deaths, cancer care chaos so bad that desperate patients are having to go down south to the U.S. to get basic care. But while a new report reveals that walk-in wait times in walk-in clinics have more than doubled, this NDP Premier and government is focused on changing the name of manhole covers to equipment access covers. Well, British Columbians want us to fix the health care crisis, not waste time renaming manhole covers or lecturing us to refrain from calling ourselves British Columbians. Why is this Premier so focused on those issues instead of cleaning up the mess his government has created in our health care system? Minister of Health. Well, Honourable Speaker, uh, what we're doing and what we have done is taken action, the most significant and most impressive action in the world to deal with the COVID-19 pandemic with respect to access to family doctors in British Columbia. On April 1st last year, 4,289 family doctors. On December 31st, nine months later, 4,997. That's an increase of 708. The Leader of the Opposition would have had to at the rate he added family doctors and Minister of Health for 100 years to meet that kind of record of success, Honourable Speaker. We've added, Honourable Speaker, through our work with the BCNU, through our work with the BCNU, Honourable Speaker, we've added more than 6,000 nurses in the past year, Honourable Speaker. We've added training spaces for nurses. That is training spaces for doctors of health science professional, an HCAP program that's added 7,000 people to support long-term care and home care and home support. What we are doing, Honourable Speaker, is taking action on what matters. Leader of the Official Opposition Supplemental. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Only in NDP world is the health care system just performing beautifully. Exactly. But you know, Mr. Speaker, it reminds me because when I was health care minister, BC's health care system led Canada by virtually Members. every objective measure. But under this NDP government, we're now the worst, including the worst walk-in clinic wait times in the entire country, which can be a death sentence for people like 23-year-old Sophia. For three years, Sophia languished on the NDP's so-called Health Connect Registry waiting list, waiting for a family doctor. Repeatedly, she went to Nanaimo's only walk-in clinic as early as 5 a.m., only to be told every time that the clinic was already full and be turned away unseen, time and time again. Her mother, Melanie, says, and I quote, if she had a family doctor, it would not have been this way. She would still be here today, end of quote. So my question to the Premier, it is long past time for some accountability Will the Premier do the right thing and fire this health minister and get this health care system turned around? Minister of Health. Honourable, Honourable Speaker, uh, the issues of, uh, of Sophia have been canvassed in question period in previous days, and I've spoken to the absolute need for independent reviews when issues come. The grief felt by that family is significant, and by her community, it is a tragic loss for everybody. 
Honourable Speaker, one of the reasons why we've taken such, I think, extraordinary action. I just say because the, the member uh, uh, doesn't like information uh, from the government. He doesn't like information from the Canadian Institute of Health Information. Perhaps he listened to the president of, uh, of the doctors of BC who talked about the fact that because of changes we've made in the last year, hundreds of thousands of less people are without a family doctor today. That's action, Honourable Speaker. 1,800 people in British Columbia have full-time equivalent jobs, full-time jobs working in primary care networks. He talks about being a health minister, Honourable Speaker, and putting out a press release that said there'd be 159 primary care networks in BC. You know how many he delivered? He delivered zero, none. No action, Honourable Speaker. The, num the, the number of people without a family doctor doubled in the years after he became Minister of Health to the year I became Minister of Health, Honourable Speaker. Why? Because he failed and he cut our public health care system. There were fewer nurses in British Columbia in 2016 than there were in 2009 when he became Minister of Health, Honourable Speaker. We are taking action to address health care issues in BC, and that action involves our work with doctors, nurses, Members. health sciences professionals, and health care workers. Leader of the official opposition, second supplementary. Mr. Speaker, well, Mr. Speaker, the numbers don't lie. One out of five British Columbians has no access to a family doctor. There are 3,000 nurse vacancies today, right now, in the system. Sophia's death, tragically, was completely preventable. Days without primary care turned into months, her health deteriorating, unchecked and untreated. In desperation, Sophia and her mother, Melanie, turned to the emergency room, only to be failed again. A doctor told Melanie that he would like to prescribe a steroid ointment, but, quote, because she has no family doctor, and she's not being followed by anybody, I can't give it to her." End of quote. Sophia's tragedy is the system's failure that thousands of British Columbians face every single day under the same minister who has overseen its decline year after year after year for seven years. The Premier has fired ministers for a heck of a lot less than this. And so again, I say to the Premier, when will the Premier accept responsibility and fire this minister, or is he going to continue to accept and defend the status quo in our health care system? Minister of Health. Uh, Honourable Speaker, what we're doing in our public health care system is taking action, Honourable Speaker. We're taking action, Honourable Speaker, to build the health care facilities we need. We're taking action to train health care workers, adding 128 spaces to medical schools, easing pathways to international educated doctors, and it is having success. You can see it last year. More than 900 internationally educated doctors alone came to British Columbia to practice, Honourable Speaker. We've reduced, in the pandemic, surgical waitlists in BC, waitlists that have made us, in many categories of surgeries, the worst in Canada when I became Minister of Health. That is the evidence, evidence provided by the Canadian Institute of Health Information, but evidence people feel every day. We have to continue to do more. We've added more than 40,000 people, frontline workers, to our health care system since I became Minister of Health, and we're going to have to meet that challenge again, and we're going to have to meet that challenge even more because of the failure, particularly on nursing, Honourable Speaker. 
that that minister, that member led when he was Minister of Health, Honourable Speaker. The failure to actually lose nominally the number of nurses between 2009 and 2016, Honourable Speaker. The Honourable Member, Honourable Speaker, Honourable Member doesn't want to take action. Well, we want to take action, and we're doing it by working with health care workers across British Columbia. Member for Prince George Wilmont. Well, you know, the minister might think that sounds good in here, but for British Columbians, they have lost hope and they have given up, and it starts with this minister and his responsibility. The Premier may not want to answer our questions, but hopefully he's willing to listen to Audrey, because Audrey Noel shares how people start to line up before 6 o'clock in the morning at the West Shore Urgent Primary Care Centre, only to be turned away because it is at full capacity. For four days, four days, she returned at six o'clock in the morning to stand in line in cold weather while she had pneumonia. This is how Audrey wants the Premier to understand what she is going through. There are, and I quote, there are elderly people who can barely stand, young mums with babies that are days old, and all they are looking for is medical care that is not available. How many people will die because they have not received timely care?" End quote. So will the Premier get up today and speak to Audrey and give her one iota of confidence that he will accept responsibility for the mess, starting with moving out the minister who's responsible for it? Here, 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 here. Minister of Health. Well, uh, I would say to Audrey that uh, in a province where I think we led in providing care during the COVID-19 pandemic, because we came together to do so, led not just uh, Canada, Honourable Speaker, but the world. We are, of course, Honourable Speaker, focused on ensuring that people get care where and when they need it. That's why we worked with the doctors of BC for a new model for primary care, one that people have been waiting a generation for. Is the honourable member in favour of those changes that have brought 708 new family doctors in nine months to British Columbia, an increase of 16%? Are they in favour or are they opposed, honourable speaker? Are they in favour of us becoming the first generation, the first jurisdiction in North America to put in place nurse ratios and to work with the BCNU to do it? Is, he in favor, uh, is she in favour or is she against? Is she in favour or against the new SFU Medical School? Is she in favour or against members, the new spaces at the UBC Medical members, School? Please. Is she in favour or against the 602 new spaces in nursing in BC? Is she in favour or against these things? Because these are the practical, concrete things we are doing to support people just like Audrey. Member for Prince George Wilmot. Member. I can assure the Minister that what I'm in favour of, of, of is making sure that people like Sophia don't die while they're waiting <coughs> for health care. <laughs> what I'm in favour of is ensuring that health care professionals who every day, including seniors care providers in this gallery today, get the help and support that they need so that they can do the job that they want to. And let's be clear, we are hearing from healthcare professionals. They are experiencing moral trauma. Those are words of healthcare professionals. That is on this minister's watch. 
And what I care about is that British Columbians get the help they need and they deserve where they live and in a timely way. It is time for the Premier to make sure that this mess gets cleaned up and it starts with moving the Minister. Minister of Health. I'll tell you what I'm against. I'm against 90% of care homes not meeting provincial standards in 2017. I'm against that. And Honourable Speaker, that's why we raise standards in every care home in British Columbia. I'm against, Honourable Speaker, targeting health care workers, the largest layoff of women workers in Canadian history, Honourable Speaker. I'm against that. That's why we brought in Bill 29 and 94 to support health care workers, and thankfully it was unanimously supported in this legislature, Honourable Speaker. Honourable Speaker, Honourable Speaker, what I'm against, Honourable Speaker, is, uh, well, Honourable Speaker, the opposition, which, the opposition, Honourable Speaker, which made cuts to health care spending, particularly in the time of the Leader of the Opposition which failed, Honourable Speaker, to make long-term investments in the health care system. What I'm in favour of is a health human reverse plan that invests in more doctors, in more nurses, in more health sciences professionals. And if you heard the words of the President of the Doctors of BC, who the member purports to speak for, Honourable Speaker, purports to speak for, he'll tell you about the impact in family practice of the changes we've made with the doctors of BC just now. I'm, Honourable Speaker, in favour of public health care in British Columbia, and I will continue to be so. Leader of the Third Party. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. We need more housing options to address the housing affordability crisis. Tiny homes are one solution. For many, a tiny home represents stability and affordability that is not otherwise completely out of reach. Unfortunately, local governments are challenged with how to zone for tiny homes. As a result, people living in tiny homes, including people in the Cowichan Valley, are in danger of losing their homes. BC Housing and the UBCM recommend that tiny homes be a part of the housing solution. Why then has this government been so slow to fix this problem? My question is to the Minister of Housing. What is the province doing to ensure that those living in tiny homes across the province will not be forced into homelessness? Minister of Housing. Uh, thank you so much, Honourable Speaker. And uh, of course, on this side of the House, we support all options of housing available. Um, I'm perplexed at the member's question. The member should know that we have tiny homes right now in her community maybe not the community she was going to run in next election, but the community that she lived in before, uh, right now, that we're funding, that's providing supportive housing for people. The member will also know that in Kelowna, we just opened more tiny homes options. We have another site that's opening up and a third one potentially coming. We just extended tiny home opportunity in Victoria in the riding the member now wants to run in so we can have more people providing, getting provided support and supportive housing. So we have been supporting communities to have tiny homes available. Now, some communities have said that we need to find ways to uh, legalize tiny homes. And my message to them is tiny homes are legal right now. If you have the fire protections that are needed to make sure that people that live in them are safe, 
You can build tiny homes right now. In fact, we have manufacturers doing that across British Columbia at this moment. Leader of Third Party Supplemental. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Maybe if the Minister of Housing was more concerned with where people were going to live, he would know that the essence of my question is not about tiny home villages, but about people living in tiny homes on properties that are not zoned for it. He's the Minister of Housing. I would expect him to understand the essence of a question like that. He seems more interested in where I'm going to run. Tiny homes should align with the province's vision for affordable housing. The province is providing grants to build laneway homes, garden suites, and secondary suites. They're encouraging people to build up to six units on a single-family lot. But if you want to park a tiny home on your property to provide an immediate solution to homelessness, you have to think twice. Modular housing is another creative solution that provides tangible and immediate benefits to those in need of affordable housing. It's quicker and less expensive to build. It allows for less waste, more predictable building costs, and other jurisdictions like Atlantic Canada right now are ramping up the building of modular housing for public, not-for-profit, non-market housing. Housing that ensures affordability. So my question, Honourable Speaker, is again to the Minister of Housing. What is the government doing to take quick action to deploy all potential housing options including allowing tiny houses on properties and modular housing. Minister of Housing. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. And uh, I first want to appreciate the member acknowledging the changes that we've made, allowing for three units, four units on single-family lots, allowing for six units near bus stands. All of those things the member opposed, didn't vote for in favour of, Honourable Speaker. But I think the member understands that it is positive to get those type of housing available. We are supporting laneway homes, Honourable Speaker. We are supporting more housing opportunities for our communities. Now, um, now, we know that in order to address the housing challenges we have, there's four things we have to focus on, and that's what we've been doing here in British Columbia, Honourable Speaker. We know that we need to take on speculation. That's what we're doing with the flipping tax. That's what we're doing with the speculation and vacancy tax. We know we need to cut red tape and legalize housing so we can increase housing supply. That's what we did with legislation. The members didn't support that. Honourable Speaker, we're investing historic levels of dollars in affordable housing, and we're protecting existing housing stock, Honourable Speaker, like we did today in Esquimalt, protecting 16 homes for families. Honourable Speaker, a year ago, the newspaper reported here in Victoria that's a great opportunity for investors to go ahead and buy that and, and displace the tenants so you can increase rents. And a year later, our rental protection fund is buying those homes, protecting those renters, and putting it in the non-market space, Honourable Speaker. We're proud of the work. We're going to continue that work. House Leader of the Fourth Party. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. You know, many British Columbians who live in Pender Harbour own properties that are water access only. This NDP government is forcibly removing their docks. For some Pender Harbour residents, this is the only way that they can access their homes. In fact, right now, there is an NDP government-hired equipment in the water destroying and removing people's docks against their will. This NDP Premier and his Socialist Government is doing the equivalent of bulldozing these homeowners' driveways and front steps. Imagine coming home and finding out the access to your road is now gone. Imagine what would happen to the value of your property. 
This is unacceptable. It is a blatant violation of private property owners' rights. Mr. Speaker, why does this NDP government think it's acceptable to violate British Columbians' property rights and remove their ability to access, to ex, to access their homes? Minister of Water, Land and Resource Stewardship. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Uh, I thank my friend for the question. We, uh, alongside my colleague, the Minister of Indigenous Relations and Reconciliation, are engaging uh, not just with the Shishala community over the dock management plan that was started uh, some years ago, I believe, by the leader of his party, if that's correct, um, and to improve dramatically upon the results both for the nation and the broader community and the owners of docks and boathouses in that region. This is a uh, subtle and important conversation and negotiation with the nation and will hopefully include a, a larger group um, that we will be able to use as an advisory panel to help us guide us through this process. I am confident that we'll have some uh, hopeful news in the near to come future. The pathway through reconciliation is the difficult work that we are engaged in right now. Rather than trying to pit one group against another, as I think the preface of my friend's question attempted to do, we'll work together as a government with the Shishal Nation and all the people in the affected area to come to a good result that works for everyone. Thank you. House Leader, Fourth Party Supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This NDP government has displayed a disturbing pattern of contempt, indifference, and secrecy towards the private property rights of British Columbians. It could be any of us next. We could come home to a letter or a notice saying that this NDP government has decided to take away our rights to access to our home or our right to use it as we see fit. It's disturbing. It sets a chilling precedent. As British Columbians, our private property rights not only can be violated, but are being violated at the whim of this NDP Premier. It's already happened to the homeowners of Pender Harbour, Kelowna and Victoria, and farmers and ranchers in every other British Columbian who has had their land right access threatened by this NDP government. My question to the Premier through you, Mr. Speaker, how can British Columbians from all across this province be confident that this NDP government won't rip away their dock rights or violate their property rights as they have already done. Minister of Water and Land. It's, it's, such, a, it's such an unfortunate question my friend raised in, in the spirit with which he raised it. We want the voices of British Columbians, all British Columbians, to be implicated in the conversations that we're having when it comes to reconciliation, when it comes to land use decisions, and we're doing that in the area that he talked about and other areas as well. What we resist and what we reject is the notion that spreading fear and misinformation will somehow bring people together, that we know the difficult path of reconciliation requires humility, dialogue and compassion, not fear-mongering, not trying to pit one group against another. We reject that. What we will do in Shishal, in Pender Harbour and other places around the province is work, difficult work, of reconciliation, which requires dialogue, which requires the community's voices being lifted up, and the respectful dialogue between the government and First Nations rights and title holders. That's what we'll do there and everywhere. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Member for Vancouver, Langara. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Since the terrorist attack by Hamas on October 7th, I've heard from so many members of the Jewish community who are feeling targeted harassed and isolated, as well as faculty, staff and students 
who no longer feel safe on university and college campuses, including at Langara College, UBC, and SFU. The current Minister of Post-Secondary Education and Future Skills has the responsibility to ensure that our universities and colleges are positive places of learning that foster enlightenment and inclusivity and hold them accountable to do so. Today, the alma mater society at UBC will make a decision on an inflammatory referendum that will have significant negative effects on Jewish students. The proposal aims to end the lease for Halal House, a safe place and fixture at UBC for 77 years, support the BDS movement, and cut ties with Israeli universities. This move will not only divide students, but will foster and fuel anti-Semitism on UBC's campus. Anti-Semitism, disguised as political discourse, threatens the core values of diversity and fairness at UBC and cannot be tolerated. Prior to the dismissal of the former Minister of Post-Secondary Education and Future Skills, the member for Coquitlam Millardville set a clear precedent of moral clarity in addressing these issues. It's critical that the current Minister of Post-Secondary Education and Future Skills follow suit by publicly condemning the divisive referendum at UBC. With the alarming rise of anti-Semitism in BC, including on university and, campus, uh, university and college campuses, British Columbians need leadership from this minister, not silence. The decision on the referendum is happening tonight. The minister must take action. So I implore this minister to stand up in this House and address this. Will the current minister of post-secondary education and future skills condemn this hateful and divisive referendum here in this House in clear and unequivocal terms? Premier. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. Uh, I've been briefed about uh, this petition that's gone forward to the AMS for consideration this evening. Uh, a small group of students, I understand, uh, is requesting uh, that the AMS sanction a referendum about uh, whether or not Halal House, so UBC, UBC, should be allowed to continue to exist, whether or not UBC students can travel to Israel to learn about different parts of the world, among other things. Now, there's a couple ways to look at this. First is, obviously, it's illegal on its face. BC Human Rights Code implicates the MS just like it implicates all organizations. The Charter of Rights and Freedoms, while it may not maybe an open legal question, directly bind the AMS, the spirit of Section 15, the equality guarantee for all British Columbians, regardless of background, race, ethnicity, religion, equality and access to services, I believe is strongly influential here. There's another way to look at it, which is that tonight, there's an opportunity for leadership among the AMS leadership. I've met so many UBC students. My, uh, the Point Grey campus is in my constituency. They are amazing. They're incredible people, engaged with the world, compassionate, concerned about the issues of the day. Uh, the students there are leaders in athletics, in research, in uh, just the work that they do day to day to educate themselves, so ready for the challenges of tomorrow. And this is a chance for them to send a message to British Columbians of all backgrounds that everybody is welcome at post-secondary institutions in British Columbia, that everybody needs to feel safe on campus, whether it's a college, whether it's a grade school, whether it's a high school, whether it's a university. And I really encourage them to seize this moment. We're all so appalled by the attacks of October 7th. We're all so heartbroken by the death and destruction in Gaza. We all 
call for the release of the hostages and for peace. And in British Columbia, we can protect this space for everybody. Make sure that what makes us strong is us working together. And I call on the AMS to reinforce that spirit at their meeting this evening. Member for Kamloops, North Compton. Member. Member for Kamloops, North Thompson. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Well, the Minister of uh, Tourism, Arts, Culture and Sports does not seem to want to add uh, a very clear answer when, it's talking, when we're talking about the $3 billion contingency set aside for FIFA. In fact, her answer is, well, it's for Clean BC initiatives. Well, Clean BC has their own line item for contingencies in the budget, so it can't be for that. Uh, she has said it's for emergency response, floods, fires and other unforeseen events. That has its own general contingencies. And in fact, there's no money in this year's budget in the FIFA line item for contingencies. So unless the minister thinks we're not having fires and floods and unforeseen events this year, that's interesting. However, on page 61, under priority spending, where they only use FIFA as a descriptor for the billion dollars in the budget next year and the $2 billion the following year, the minister doesn't want to shine any light on how much the true cost of FIFA actually is to British Columbians. So that, you know, has a lot of activists talking about these large international sporting events. And I'll quote one. They say, a lot of people were opposed to the idea that we would spend hundreds of millions of tax dollars with no accountability when we're dealing with homelessness crisis, an education crisis, and so many other spending crises right now in British Columbia, end quote. Well, Mr. Speaker, that activist, and I see him smiling, is actually our Premier criticizing the 2010 Olympics while then he was writing a pamphlet on how for protesters to evade law enforcement. Now that he's in charge, Mr. Speaker, no transparency and won't answer any questions about the FIFA costs, Mr. Speaker. So do the Premier. Has the Premier flip-flopped yet again on another one of his former principles, or will he actually release today the actual costs of FIFA. Minister of Finance. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. You know, first the opposition leader misreads the budget and calls a tax cut a tax hike, and now the now the member opposite fails to understand how contingencies work. You know, the vast majorities. The vast majorities of contingencies in Budget 2024 are not for FIFA. Just to make it clear, there is not $3 billion for FIFA. Members. Most of the contingencies that the members, members keep referring to, the member referred it in his budget response speech yesterday, $3 billion are going to FIFA. It's inaccurate. That is just wrong. So the contingency money, the contingencies fund, are for caseload pressures. They are for things like emergency. Members, well, the members should well know caseload pressures includes wildfires, which were substantial last year. We need to ensure members, that we have money for, for members wildfires. Members, don't get too excited. And unforeseen, unforeseen issues. You know, it's <laughs> members, members. Members, 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 members will come to order.
Minister, welcome. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And of course, if there is funding that we need for this year for, for FIFA, it will be used in contingencies, but not $3 billion, for goodness sakes. So we, we know that this is going to be a world-class event. We know that it has the... <laughs> We know that it is going to have the opportunity to generate over a billion dollars for the people of the province. It's going to be an exciting event for people right across the province, and we will have the uh, we will have the members. Members. Why do they hate soccer? I don't know why they hate soccer. It's a good question. I don't understand it. I mean, people are really excited. from all over the world to watch this, this and seven games in Vancouver. It's amazing. It's amazing. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, we will have the numbers soon. We want to get those numbers right, and we will have those numbers soon. The bell ends the question period.